right, everybody. Welcome to Dead Cat. Uh, Tom Dotan here, uh, and then I'm Eric Newcomer, author of Newcomer. And with us, we have Ellen Hewitt, my old colleague at Bloomberg. You can say your former colleague at Bloomberg. I know. I, I always <laughs> say old. I don't mean old. Like she's not. Uh, you're. I'm you're slightly like, older than you, Eric, but not by that much. Oh, you are by like months. We used to sit next to each other at the office back when people used to go to the office. Oh, that must have been a nightmare. It was. I mean, not okay, like because you wouldn't want to actually, chat with Eric. You know what happened is <laughs> I would be on the phone with like, you know, Soros or talking to somebody. Eric would get on the phone at the same time having his own phone conversation. And the person I would be talking to on the phone would be like, did someone else just join our call? I hear a voice. Like Eric is so loud that he would sound like someone who had dialed into our call rather than someone who was sitting next to me. Yeah. Is this a secure line? It sounds like someone else is listening in on The this. other thing that would drive me crazy about that I'm loudest when I'm getting the best information. Like I'm loudest <laughs> when I'm getting real scoops. So all of a sudden everybody starts criticizing me. And I'm like, I'm doing great work right now. You know what I mean? It was fucking Bloomberg's open office. But anyway, you know, me not sitting next to Ellen was certainly a path that led down to me leaving Bloomberg eventually. It's like, when, you know, I left San Francisco, but then when you don't have to go to the office anymore, it's like, oh, why? why I should work for myself. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, where Ellen is... One of the foremost experts on WeWork, having written about it as a beat reporter and then creating, uh, Ho- I guess you say hosting, hosting? Ho- reporting and hosting a seven-part podcast about <laughs> WeWork called Foundering. So Bloomberg has a like oh, award-winning, right? I have to say award-winning, <laughs> award-winning podcast. Um, uh, yeah, Bloomberg has a, a podcast series called uh, Foundering, where each season tells a different story. First one was about WeWork. And I'm the host of that one. Then the second one's about like TikTok and other stuff. It's really good. And I highly recommend you check it out. I can vouch for that. I mean, you're just saying it because you were on it, but actually it is a very good podcast. And with the Adam Newman story in specific, you kind of delve into the early Adam Newman years, um, which, you know, for those of uh, listening who just watched the TV show or listen to the other podcast, you kind of get, you know, young Adam Newman is its own story. You get all the kibbutz years. Yeah, we sent a reporter to Adam Newman's kibbutz, which was great, and like interviewed people who knew him and all this stuff. So that was really yeah. fun. It's the prequel. It's like before Newman was Newman. And I, uh, I I think it's a valuable part of the story. Thanks, Tom. All right. So, and we're going to go back a little bit and explain some of the Adam Newman stuff. But just to frame up why we're having the conversation right now, you know, Andreessen Horowitz has invested $350 million in Adam Newman's new company, Flow, which is some sort of real estate company. Mark Andreessen himself is taking the board seat. Adam Newman is back. We work, you know, is... I checked earlier today, like a $3.6 billion market cap company after $10 billion plus getting invested into that. WeWork is not what it once was, but Adam Newman is is back. And then related to that, we've got sort of Mark Andreessen, you know, interested in solving our real estate problems, but also himself uh, a NIMBY, uh, an extreme NIMBY. Anyway, so that that's the conversation. And as background for what it's worth, I am also now an expert on this Atherton public housing debacle (laughs) because I read literally every single page of that like 270 page document. So anything you want to know about it, just ask. (laughs) Great. Tom, what do you want to start off with here? I want to start off with Atherton. Let's let's take a trip down 280 and check out our (laughs) leafy peninsula suburb of the richest people in the Bay Area. It is, I think, literally the richest, uh, the richest city in in an already overpriced uh, over oh, no, no. It's the richest city in America. I was Googling the names in this public comment list and like every single, like 
it was rare for someone to not be like have a Wikipedia page about how rich and influential well, they are. Bruce Dunleavy, the WeWork board member from Benchmark, apparently right. yeah. lives there. Right. right? It's just mm-hmm. like the story even intersects, the, all these stories intersect because obviously Silicon Valley is a small world. Mm-hmm. The, the Atherton experience, before we get into the story, but just maybe to stage set a little bit for our audience, is a lot of reporters go down to Atherton to meet with VC sources. It's pretty, it's pretty common that you take the trip down 280. In Atherton, this is like the town where, correct me if I'm wrong, Marissa Mayer used to host her crazy like Halloween parties and all the like uh, like Google APMs would go there and she would have like an ice rink in the backyard and rented like a tiger. And I'm making this up. So, you you know, no, you're, not- you're correct from the stories. And I believe she also drove a Zamboni around the ice rink is like mm-hmm. the famous story with, mm-hmm. with Marissa Mayer when she was the CEO of Yahoo. Yeah. And then the other thing I think of in terms of extravagant executive parties there is uh, Joe Lonsdale used to throw, uh, this is the um, Palantir co-founder, and he used to throw like an annual party at his mansion that I think is also, is that an Atherton? That was um, Well, pretty... Joe Lonsdale is now fully in Austin. That one I don't know for sure, but yeah, but I'm sure he lives in okay. Atherton at some the, point. He, he had a Game of Thrones chair that was made for the uh, weekly Game of oh, Thrones Oh, yes, I remember the Game of Thrones chair. I've seen it, I've seen it. I didn't dare sit in it. Uh, yeah, but yeah, it's it's a real thing. So yeah, that's the kind of place we're talking about here. It's 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 comical in terms of its its concentration of wealth, and also in terms of nimbyism, it ha- it has minimum sort of lot sizes. Right? Yes, it has it has a the town the town like rule basically is that you shall not have housing density that's above one house per acre. So <laughs> this is why people are so upset. <laughs> Talk about enforcing wealthy, you know, minimum, yeah. making sure everyone's wealthy. It's like, it's expensive neighborhood and you need to be able to buy, you're saying an acre. An acre of land. Yeah. So basically the general understanding of Atherton that has existed for decades is that this is a place where there are not that many people. It's also a small town, but you know, it's probably 10,000 people or fewer. And you, you know, average house, average house price, I'm sure it's like in many millions of dollars. I read an article that said it was seven or eight million. That makes Total sense to me. And mm-hmm. you end up with these large properties, which means the houses are very far spaced apart. And so a lot of people buy it if they're like rich and very interested in privacy and um, wanting to have kind of this like suburban feel. Well, professionally, they're interested in destroying privacy, but personally, they're interested in pr- <laughs> yes, privacy. Yes, they'd like to protect their own <laughs> privacy. You know, for example, and, and it's not, it, it, it is a lot of tech people. There are also a lot of like, you know, it's like the founder of KKR lives there. There's a lot of like banking execs. Um, Steph Curry and his family live in Atherton. Like um, Joe Lakeup, who I guess is both tech and warriors associated, lives in lives in Atherton. And, and so part of why this is happening is on a policy lens, Gavin Newsom is, and the state of California are pushing cities to start actually building housing. And after this whole long pro-housing YIMBY crusade, finally, it seems like the state is starting to turn the screws to cities like San Francisco, Atherton, to say, okay, you're going to have to build. And if you don't, you have to sort of prove why you're, you have to give us sort of good reasons why you're not. And so everybody starts writing letters in Atherton, what, what, what are the letters that we're all, so like, why are rich people in Atherton taking their time to write in 
to, to well, give their public comment. What's funny is, okay, so the, you know, the large scale picture is basically, yeah, there are, there are multiple things happening at the state level that are requiring cities across the state to have to like propose plans for how they're going to add a certain amount of housing. Like the exact details I think are kind of like depend on the region and the, the place and that kind of thing. But Atherton is basically on the hook to build something like 350-ish new housing units in the next X years. I think it's like 10 or something like that. It, regardless of what the actual proposals are, they were also, um, so part of the like town council had proposed a change to the housing element, which is basically like their housing plan for the city, which allowed overlay zones. So basically like exceptions to the town-wide understanding of one house per acre. So these are places where all of a sudden like you could have multifamily housing, which like I could be wrong, but as far as I know, does not exist in Atherton at all. And multifamily housing like was ringing all sorts of alarm bells for these people. It's unclear that there were actually necessarily going to be plans for these things to even be built, but they were upset at the changes in zoning that were being proposed. And look, my understanding from reading the letters is like, you know, people were alleging that the town council was not very clear that this was happening. They were very upset, um, you know, it seems like there's a very strong neighbor whisper network in Atherton because they were all talking about like, oh, we were at this meeting. We were at a Zoom meeting where we all the neighbors discussed this. And like, I heard about it from my neighbor and I'm very upset. And- I love that the billionaires are also in like next door, like misinformation threads, just sort of like cobbling together what's happening and sort of like, totally. can't they get like a briefer who like, I don't know, goes to all the meetings and gives them like a really like informed download of what's going on? I mean, my sense is that like some neighbors who were very motivated about this raised the alarm um, because if you read through the letters, you actually start to see a lot of the same form responses in it. So many right. people sending in, it's like, you know, it's like, you know, we lightly changed the phrasing of exactly the same phrase about right. how, like, we believe that changes to the community, like, to the plan should be done only with, like, strong input from the community or whatever. Right. And everyone has a slightly different phrase. It's like those Facebook viral posts where it's just like, on March 13th, Facebook is going to publicly release yes. your personal data if you do not <laughs> post this message saying, Mark, please do not tell everybody <laughs> when I was born and in what hospital. And then oh you see gosh. like three of your dumbest friends on Facebook posting it. This is like the billionaire next door version. And of then it. they get elected to Congress. But yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So so they, people people were very upset about the proposals. They came up with all sorts of reasons for why this wouldn't be, you know, a good idea. Me not living in Atherton, I don't know how legitimate they are, but it's like, oh, it's, you know, too, there's too much traffic already on this street. Like, well, there's a guy who's like a former Nest Labs exec. Eric Charlton is his name. He says, Atherton, as we know it, will be gone. And only you have the power to stop that from happening if you care about our city. I could be walking down the sidewalk and ask somebody about their pool. And they're like, actually, I don't have a pool. And I have an upstairs neighbor. And it would ruin the character. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of like ruining the character. and (laughs) The character is not knowing that you have neighbors. I mean, that seems to be when you're dealing with one house per acre you know, up in fairly hilly areas. There was a letter, I believe, from Anthony Noto, who is the CEO of SoFi, former Twitter exec, who was complaining about the crime rates that had just been skyrocketing. He says, the crime has become so bad, many families are employing private security, including our family. To be clear, we are writing this letter to communicate our objection to the creation of multifamily overlay zones in Atherton. So, which have not even happened yet, right? So his point is like, crime is skyrocketing in town. (laughs) If you were to add multifamily housing, (laughs) we're talking about a like, you know, warrior style situation where we're living on the streets. Warriors come out to play. 
the funny thing about the Anthony Noto letter is it like feels very stream of consciousness and like they kind of get riled up. They're like, this is going to be bad for this reason and, and this and this. And then also we have a lot of crime, which like may or may not be true. And then they kind of like rein themselves in. And they're okay, like, so you, br- you bring this up. Do you mind if I, because I did spend 10 seconds on this before we started recording to see what the mm-hmm. crime stats were in Atherton. <laughs> oh, nice. Um, okay, so uh, Atherton, violent crime per 1,000 residents is 2.09. In California, uh, the rate is 4.4. So it's half the crime rate overall in California, and it is uh, below the national median. So far this year, up. there have been... Yeah, I, see, I don't have the trends, so it could be slightly <laughs> ticked up. Uh, there have been zero murders uh, this year. Uh, there have been three rapes. There have been two robberies, and there have been 10 assaults. So, look, I don't know what the baseline Murder in Atherton would be a good mystery novel. Yeah. Like, immediately the scene is set. Right. And, and, yeah. and I don't know if it's like an Atherton cop that had to do something for the first time in his life having to solve it, or you've got to get like a cop from the big city to come down among these rich people and Listen, deal with we're not advocating for murder, but if you did murder someone, we would have a good book on our hands. Yeah, it would be a good story. <laughs> the other good recurring tidbit from these letters is uh, rich people suggesting that their pool houses could be counted as um, additional housing units for the state oh requirement. And this is multiple people. This is like... Um, a guy named Dick Elkis, who was like a former like CEO of a bunch of companies. And then Bruce Dunleavy and his wife say this as well. They're like, by the way, have we considered, have we considered counting pool houses? I, I would say shows up in several of the <laughs> so letters. Um, sometimes we work our staff to exhaustion and then they sleep in the pool house overnight. So I think it should count. And the funny thing is like, do they actually want to rent out their pool house to someone? I don't think they want to. So like, I think this isn't going to count. Um, and there are other... I think there are other like more in the weeds reasons to like push back against this. Like it wouldn't necessarily, I think, create a ton of affordable housing because like even the townhouses in Atherton are going to be super expensive. But I, I'm, I'm no housing policy expert of that. Can we, I don't know if you're willing to take out a position on the substance or not or what your neutral reporter scruples are on this. But I, I guess there are two competing intuitions. Like on the one hand, you know, What's what's the point of being rich? You want you want to be rich to live in like a nice neighborhood and like you you shopped for the nice neighborhood and like like should there never be like I don't I don't like I guess that's that's certainly not what I have. I mean the the sort of hypocrisy of of course is just that like these are all like extreme capitalists and here they are trying to use like government protectionism to like stop the market from you know like bu- building where where it's desirable. Yeah, I think the hypocrisy is like strongest with Andreessen, right? Someone who has staked his entire like public brand on being like, America doesn't build enough anymore. And I'm going to write a big essay about how people should build. And it's going to be a little vague. Don't worry about it. But I am going to specifically talk about how we don't, how we don't build enough housing. And like, this is a problem. And like housing is such a, you know, how is it that like we, you know, can no longer like figure out how to like get the economic realities lined up so that we can like build enough housing. Well, it's like, well, turns out people like you are a part of the problem. I'm not saying he's the only problem, obviously, but like that sort of riles me up a bit. But I would say, you know, I think with the other people, it's like a little bit harder, you know, it's a little bit more of a stretch. It's like, okay, well, in general, I think tech companies do try to champion like, you know, okay, the the idea that there's housing is way too expensive in California means that we should build more. This is like how the markets work. Um, and I think that like in in Aaron Griffith's piece in The Times, she points out that like these companies at large have supported 
housing forward policy. And Listen, so, yes. Erin Griffith is the guest that has appeared on this show, I think, the most times, right? So she's basically writing on behalf of Dead Cat. You know, amazing, amazing. The Times I mean, is secondary employment to her, her, her Dead Cat appearance. I'm a huge Erin fan. What can I say? And yeah, she came out with a great piece. And I think <laughs> she pointed out like, yeah, the, the companies that these, these execs work for like have also taken stances in favor of building more housing. Well, like turns out, yeah, when you build more housing, people who live right next to it do get kind of annoyed. But like, that's that's just like the trade-off you have that's to make. That's the whole NIMBY thing. Like, that's, right. yeah. that's why it's not in my backyard. Everybody is for building in some abstract. It's like, sure, yeah, get these people some houses somewhere. It's like the whole point of the YIMBY movement is you have to be willing to say, yes, right here where we are, where we have political power, we're willing to make it happen. So there's nothing novel about being like, oh, yeah, I like building generally. I just don't like it when it inconveniences me. Like, yeah. duh, everybody would subscribe to It's a little to sad that. that, like, when so many people, I feel now know the concept of being a NIMBY and understand the, like, sort of the negative effects overall to, like, our society that comes with NIMBYism, it's a little sad that, like, even in that position, these people are still exerting, like, classic NIMBYism, right? They're just like, oh, my God, it could not, like, it it is unfathomable that this would happen in Atherton. Dear God, like, please let it happen somewhere else. Right. And and we we sort of already made this point, but I think it's worth emphasizing a multifamily housing unit or few in Atherton isn't going to do shit to fix the housing crisis across California. These are, you know, this is housing that would probably be a million dollars for the low end, lowest, lowest end unit. Uh, So really what this is just is a hilarious display of nimbyism and you know, at the most outsized and, and comical level, what is going on in areas where it actually would be meaningful, but is being prevented by people who do not want to have any sort of housing affect their way of life. Because people in California and in the Bay Area specifically cling so hard to their land and like their perceived status and, and privacy or whatever, that they're refusing to allow developers to do anything. And, you know, look, I, I think there's some complications and I don't know, we could talk about this in a different episode here, but like the Yimby movement is also very tied up in with, you know, what developers want to do. Oh, and it doesn't always on. allow for, <laughs> you know, public housing and the kind of low cost that would actually affect the rates of people that don't have a lot of money uh, to find places to live. But uh, yeah, uh, we can fight that one. Tom's Tom thinks he's the leftist on this podcast, but then I'm like, I listen to him back. I'm like, you don't, you don't sound that leftist on this podcast, but now he's now, but I'm saying that claim, that comment was one of the first where he's like, oh, now he's trying to get some, some real leftism on here. Yeah. I'm, I'm on the anti-Yimby meme train. So. Oh my God. That's, we could have a little fight about that. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to not, and not get drawn into that. I mean, let, we've ta- talked around Mark Andreessen. I mean, Mark Andreessen's wife, like her family is like a major California real estate developer right like he's like deep in this isn't just some like they should know better right they know this whole thing i can give a tiny bit of background which is i was a student at stanford and so laura uh laura who is uh, mark andreessen's wife laura ariaga andreessen and anyone who recognizes the name ariaga knows that like yeah john ariaga was this like I, you know, now this is embarrassing. I don't actually know what he did to gain his fortune, but um, he definitely, is. his name is on like half of the buildings at Stanford um, or has like, it's like the Ariaga Dining Commons, the like Ariaga um, Gym, like the, there's like three others. And then there's a bunch more that he also paid for, but like didn't want his name on for some reason. This was <laughs> something a that I remember like here. spending a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I remember 
Um, trying to dig into this when I was like a student reporter at Stanford, obviously didn't end up getting that far. But yeah, he's, a, you know, oh, the the hospital, like if you go to the emergency room, which like one time my roommate fell while like, and I had to drive her to the ER and we we're sitting there and it's like Laura Ariaga Andreessen emergency rooms. So you just see the name. See, everywhere. that's real reporting. It's like, I learned this in the emergency room. Yeah. <laughs> All we, you got out your little notebook and you started, you have a scene yeah, in your yeah. memoir someday. Anyway, and then you thanked your th- friend for getting hurt and, and you're like, that's, that's good. Did you get too close to the truth at some point? Did you like get called into like the Ariaga <laughs> conference room and get told like you got the Ned Beatty speech from Network about like... I remember like there was like, we thought that he was funding the like renovations of some of the like row houses that are like these like dorms that, and we like... I don't know if we ever actually staked it out, but I think we like wanted to stake it out in order to like talk to the construction crew because we were convinced there was some sort of like kickback scheme. I don't know. It didn't it didn't get off the ground. Um, but basically he's, you know, he's a huge name, tons of money, and um very much like, especially in the in the sort of greater Bay Area. And owns tons of land. Tons of land, yes. And I think I don't know what you're getting at, but I guess it's just like the the privileged of the privileged, yeah. And they should know, like, I feel like one of the biggest issues with California is the tax policy that if you're an early landowner, you get taxed in that tax rate. Like, this is a family that deeply understands housing and real estate in California and is an enabler of the status quo. So it is, yeah, it is just like, it's not like, oh, yeah, they're like some generically rich person who's like trying to protect their house. It's also like they have perhaps like the greatest one some of the greatest reach in California real estate and power of anybody. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, so, uh, so then they, the, the Andreessen's together and we don't really know if it's a more Mark or Laura thing. Right. I feel like that's sort of gotten, everybody's talking about him, but they wrote it together. Right. Yeah. They wrote it together. I mean, many of the letters, I will say this, having read those letters, many of the letters are written and signed by both in general, I would say all the couples ended up being a man and a woman, but like, yeah, both the the husband and the wife of this of this couple. Look, you could read, you could try to do a little bit of in, interpretation by looking at whose name was written first, but certainly I wouldn't like assume, yeah, based on the order of the names and the signature, who actually like sure. wrote the letter if it was one or two people. And they had they had great all caps, right? They had oh, they had amazing like- all caps. We are immensely <laughs> opposed to this thing. Um, there was also someone who was That's like, more, um, right? That's got to be. More. Yeah. I, I've read enough tweets. A, a Twitter poster. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel confident in saying he was like, no, 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 honey. Highlight that one. All caps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there was a, yeah, there's someone else who had like a really funny, yeah. Some of, some of the letters are clearly like, you know, mispunctuated, a lot of all caps, like angry, angry residents, like deciding to really make their emotions known. I mean, the best part of Parks and Rec was always when they did sort of the, town sort of townspeople coming in and giving their feedback and it was always insane i feel like oh my god some, this could just be a show where it's just you know the wealthy people trying to engage with like so, <laughs> you know or just the people like they're done with their job they've retired and they just need like meaning so they're fighting with like their super anyway or it's a co-op board or so you know all those things that's endlessly mm-hmm. anyway okay so can we can we talk about flow now? Have, did you have have we missed anything on this piece of it? No, I'm good. I guess what but before we before we go off the flow, I guess the last thing I want to say on this topic that I find so fitting and and hilarious is that tech is also trying to figure out solutions to the housing crisis through their companies, right? There are a lot of venture-backed real estate companies. Actually, this does kind of lead into flow. Um who think that like, you know, whereas 
they do recognize there's a problem. There are some who are nominally YIMBYs. There are ones who will give a lot to YIMBY movements and causes. And they also think that their technology can somehow solve this, right? That there's some way in which you can apply, whether it's, I don't know, algorithms or some version of co-op living to fix the housing problem. And yet when it comes to their particular area, it doesn't seem that they're willing to, they're not going to dog food it, right? They're not going to be using their own products in order to no. fix this larger issue. That's and the I perfect think, word for this. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly. The whole tech philosophy is dog food your product. Do the thing that you're, suffer through your terrible tech product that you're trying to force on the world. And they won't even dog food the world that they want, which is a dense urban life. That is, that's a great distillation of the issue, yeah. I think. Exactly. And, and I think like, if what they're promising is actually going to be great, if they are creating a new future that is very livable and is something that they are promising as, you know, give us your money, you know, investors and you as users take part in it, you should be all about this sort of thing. And it seems like either the, the tech companies that they're building aren't that useful and aren't actually going to do any of this, or they just never believed it in the first place. Uh, I, I have my thoughts on which that is specifically. But anyway, so that leads into Flow and our good friend, Adam Newman, who is it's trying. Like, if you're going to support WeWork, you need to stay in an open office every hour of the day instead of your, you know, yeah. nice yeah. like hardwood table. You need to yeah, drink yeah. fucking water out of a cold metal cup. <laughs> <laughs> That's always half full, Tom. It's always yeah. half full because it says so on the cup. <laughs> yeah, does it even? I actually didn't. I don't read these things. It does. It does. Oh, Wait, that's what? like a, what are you? What are you guys referencing? What's the metal? Oh, cup? if you go to a WeWork, the cups that you can like get to like get your sparkling water from the tap or your whatever, um, they're metal and they say always half full. At least they did a couple of years ago. I don't know. Huh. It's possible that they've changed, but they. I, I mean, think actually, you know, after all the turmoil in WeWork, they had to legally remove them. <laughs> it just wasn't. It wasn't accurate advertising. I haven't noticed that. And their little but, coffee mugs used to say "Do what you love." I mean, like I got say i kind of miss the era of like we works aggressive branding you you can't see ellen's apartment right now but she has life is good merchandise all over the place <laughs> she just she has just like hang in there cat posters on her wall everywhere it's just it's all just like bland affirmations just co covering every inch of things <laughs> i i'm beyond live laugh love i like love laugh lives <laughs> i no, I'm, I'm actually with you because i i do work occasionally out of a we work insider uh you know lisa's one in downtown sf and i also used to go to a WeWork occasionally when I was at the information. They had one in, in New York. And um, yeah, the, the, the before and after era, the era of plenty and the era of now is stark. And I mean, let's take away, you know, the, the beer on tap and the kombucha and the flavored water. Uh, there's just less kind of camaraderie. The kind of bullshit that Adam Newman was really grafting on uh, when he was making these companies is, is long gone. But they did keep the metal cups, um, which yeah. if you, you know, I mean, frigid. I like, I feel like my hand will like fuse to them <laughs> at times, but, uh, but anyway, so that is the Adam Newman fantasy. He is working his hardest to, to solve our office issues and now our domestic housing issues. So why don't you explain to me before we get into Andreessen's, yeah. uh, and, and, and what Eric believes is the backstory as to why, uh, Andreessen Horowitz is, is making their largest investment ever into Adam Newman's comeback. Uh, can you tell us about flow? What is flow? Yeah. So there's some fun stuff going on here, which is to back up even farther, Adam Newman, apparently his new favorite word is flow. I'm not kidding. This was like <laughs> in an FT article from like six months ago. And that has led to two different ventures. One of them is called Flow Carbon, which as far as I understand, he is a co-founder of, but has no real operational like day-to-day -day in and probably put money into. But I think maybe he like 
had the idea and then got other people to start building it. And Flow Carbon is a something related to like using the blockchain to track um, carbon credits. So imagine it, it has to do with sort of like renewable energy accounting and crypto. And then he decided to have this other cup. So, and then for months there had been stories about like, oh, Adam Newman is doing like a residential real estate play. So like, we kind of knew that this was coming. He, there were, you know, people who cover like commercial real estate had tracked um, places where he had um, entities that had bought like residential towers. Um, a lot of them like in Florida, uh, Atlanta, and like other parts of um, kind of the the U.S. And so we knew that he was like interested in residential real plant, like real estate. What we found out with this announcement is that this other company is also called Flow, which is just hilarious to me. So we have Flow Carbon and we have Flow. They're two different ones. He Does is, he I own guess, the Flow trademark? You know, there are... Okay, and the funny thing is that with the um, Flow Carbon, they have a token called like... Um, oh, I'm going to get it wrong. It's like Goddess Earth or something like that. Like there's... They have a very funny name for the token. Hi, hi Rebecca. Nice, nice to see your contribution again. My hat tip to Rebecca for reasserting her her brand genius. Mm -hmm. Well, her brand these days is Student of Life for Life. I don't know if you've heard about Soulful. That's how you say the acronym S-O-L-F-L, Student of Life for Life, Soulful. Mm -hmm. Are they still together? Uh, Of course they're together. Do you not believe in love, I I mean, I think so. They actually had another another kid uh, recently. Now they have six. I'm not 100% sure about that. I'm pretty sure they have six kids. I, I had an anonymous tipster raising questions about this relationship to me, but I, uh, whatever. Wow. Yeah. We're definitely keeping that in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, we had the background. You know, WeWork, obviously Adam yeah, yeah. sold the name to the company, which was one of his mini scandals. So that's that's yes. the joke. That's what we've yeah, been the, the joking trademark about was... without cluing you into for the last five minutes Sorry. here. So now you're in on the joke. Okay, yeah, next. Yeah, so who knows, who knows about the trademark for Flow? I'll look into it. Um, the... But yeah, so it's a little unclear now. And then so yeah, Flow as the residential real estate play now we know has raised money from Andreessen, a lot of money. People are still sort of unclear about what exactly it does. And the terms of it are, so it's 350 million, but like Adam's bringing some money, Adam's bringing some real estate. We don't know what the protections, they don't expressly say it's not debt. Like, so there, and I want to point out, so we all went crazy on this. The New York Times story said, biggest single check ever from Andreessen, $350 million. Andreessen definitely wanted to blast this out to the world. I mean, this was in the New York Times. They wrote a blog post. Mark Andreessen's on the board. They could have done tons of stuff to caveat it. They could have been like, sure, it's a billion, but, you know, think about our ownership. You know, they're, they're, they almost like oversold how ridiculous of a deal this was in ways where if you start to ask questions, you're like, well, what did they get for it? Anyway, I just, I just want to flag that. But it's still optically and with $350 million in some form, they went all in again on Adam Newman, a person that many people, you know, would never invest in again in their life. Yeah. And some, who, yeah. Well, and what's funny is Adam doing residential real estate is not new. So we work for those who haven't been like totally in the weeds in it. They had a venture called We Live for several years, which had two locations, one of them in uh, New York uh, on Wall Street and the other one uh, in DC. And they were basically like communal living sort of adult dorms would maybe be like an uncharitable way to describe them. I stayed in one for a story um, and I'm kind of a like communal living expert. Like I lived in a co-op for five years in San Francisco. It's like, it's a, it's a, (laughs) it's a intentional community, Eric. Thank you very much. (laughs) Where we share resources such as our grocery shopping and share communal space. My my people still call them kibbutzim, by the way. 
yeah. Ellen is writing a book on an alleged cult, by the way, uh, about yeah. one taste. So we're, we're yeah. teasing all the Bloomberg books. Uh, <laughs> Mark Bergen is going to come on soon. So I, anyway. Nice. Well, Mark's Mark's book is actually coming out soon. Mine is now maybe not going to come out until 2024. But in two years, keep an eye out for- You need to build um, anticipation, you know? Yeah, uh, keep an eye out for my book about the alleged sex cult. Yeah, by the way, I was going to say, between yours and Mark, we'll see which one is sexier. Yeah. <laughs> Mark's is longer. Mark's is very long. I'm trying to make mine short. <laughs> That's actually not good for me. Book. You're trying to <laughs> sell the book. Like, <laughs> I'm writing some pieces about it for, for Insider because I'm now covering YouTube. So I hope it's not too long, Mark. You're like, it's very far. wordy. Oh, you haven't read it yet. No, we. I don't have it. Do you have it? No, I don't. It was supposed to be in the mail. I, I had to get one from like the Pirate Bay. I have a digital copy. Do you really? <laughs> we'll keep that in, but like kind of sort of. Anyway, the, the funny thing is that like we live was a flop. Staying there, it was like the people who stayed there like didn't give a shit about like community. They just wanted like a cheap apartment that came furnished. And it was like there were happy hours, but it was just kind of like... I don't know. You know, I think there were some people who really liked it, but it didn't take off. It, you know, at some point, WeWork had projected. Happy hour was like there were snacks in the lunchroom kind of thing, right? Like it wasn't No, like they did of... have like, it's like they had a bar on like the 13th floor of the building and like, you know, they could send out a, a message on the app being like, we got chicken wings and like margaritas, like come by. And people would come by and like chit-chat and that was nice. And there was a hot tub on the roof um, and they would have parties at the hot tub on the roof. And it was very like, kind of like, you know, millennial dream dream scene of like, oh, life in the city. Um, regardless of what the subjective experience of living at We Live was, it was objectively much smaller than Adam had ever predicted. Like they they used to give these presentations about how big We Live was going to be, and it like never progressed past these two locations. Um, and they ended up getting rid of them, um, selling them off to like other co. And this is a company that spent what ten billion plus. Just burn like, through, like endless amounts of money. Right. Yeah, they so it's like they, they had yeah. as much money in the world to make this thing work. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think at some point it stopped being a priority for them. So, but, it, you know, of course it ties very well into Adam's like lifelong, you know, uh, explorations of community, right? Like, and you can draw this theme where it's like, oh, he lived at the kibbutz when he was a teen. And like, he was very interested in like building community at the office. And now... Maybe that's what he'll do with Flo. Like, maybe he'll do something. And he is good at it. He I is. Mean, it's funny what Tom was saying earlier, where he was shitting on WeWork having lost the sense of community. It's, like, funny. How could losing Adam Newman... I, I get that money makes community possible. You have free food and people come around it. But it is sort of funny that, like, it did feel like Adam's, like, essence was able to sort of trickle down in some ways to the actual WeWork experience. Yeah. Look, if I may for a minute, it's, like, having spent a lot of time talking to people who worked really closely with Adam. I've spent time with Adam. Like, we've made this whole podcast about kind of analyzing, like, his effects on this company. It's like, he is, like, really just an exciting person to be around. And I think people underestimate how important that is. Like, people would meet him and they would just, like, have fun and, like, feel inspired and feel this vision. He has these, like, crazy ideas and he's so convinced that they're going to happen. And people have told me um, that that's, like, his greatest gift is he has this crazy idea People are kind of like, what? And then he just convinces you like, oh, it's going to work. And then it does. And then you feel amazing. You feel like you're part of this like kind of ability to move beyond like the limitations that you thought existed in your life. Um, and he's, I don't know, he's just like, I, I think, I think I, I certainly would not underestimate the sort of um, qualitative 
excitement that he brings to— He would be a good alleged cult leader, you know? He would be an amazing electrical leader. <laughs> he fashions himself in that way. That's what the flowy shirts and bare feet are all about. I'm not joking. Right. I think it's all part of the central appeal with him. And I mean, the criticism with WeWork, and Ellen, I know you probably have a lot of thoughts here, is that there wasn't anything all that innovative about the communal work office idea. There were other co-working spaces, publicly traded companies that offered short-term limited rental space in large apartment buildings. And, you know, we work as a maybe more branded version of it. And there may have been some kind of clever real estate tricks about like upgrading or upzoning a building, uh, you know, because it had the WeWork branding name on it, it was therefore more valuable. There is some smart stuff there. They had raised so much money, they had to spend this money. And suddenly it became not just like, you know, a nice branding on an existing idea of co-working spaces, but this all-encompassing communal idea that, you know, people were trying to argue was a, what was it, $50 billion company or something 47 like that? 47. Top, yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, and and I think like, look, probably in the, like this, some of those things, the choices that they made eroded trust and like, were, you know, but I mean, the company grew to this like enormous valuation because they were able to make this very effective hype machine. And then there were some mistakes that they made along the way that I think like kind of undercut a lot of that and then they tumbled down. Because they were able to convince Masa. Like, I feel like it's... Yeah, yeah. which like, right. Adam's still good at that and I think he's done it again. Right. Convince... Yeah, I mean, Andreessen is very similar to SoftBank. I mean, they're both like have more money than their like competitors, need to deploy a lot of it, consider themselves like idea-driven sort of geniuses. And so, yeah... Flow, I know we sort of said, you know, we don't know a lot about it. We've obviously said it has to do with residential, but I don't know. What what's the, what do we know about it? Or it has to do with apartments, right? Yeah, I mean, it seems like they've bought up apartment space as well as some retail space. And I, you know, there's there was a story that says that they also are going to offer like basically a crypto wallet. So my, my guess is that there's a crypto elements. Um, I don't know exactly what. And then they're also in the um, Andreessen post, they kind of hint at like, oh, you know, like this way renters can like get ownership of some kind, or maybe it wasn't quite that broad. But- right. That's what I don't understand. It, it addresses ownership, but it's a renter thing. That we That's the big leap we don't, hasn't yeah. closed, we, right? Look, I think, well, first of all, also, there's some funny things in that blog post in which Mark Andreessen basically like shits on renters and he's like, renters don't care about anything. Renters never have community with the place they live, which is like, I think a very, that's like exactly what homeowners think. I don't know. I found that a little right. offensive. But. And I'm like, when, I would love to know Mark Andreessen's ability to do these huge things, we're all talking about him and he doesn't answer like fundamental questions anybody would have if you announced it. Like, Mark, please answer these questions. When is the last time you ever lived in an apartment ever? You know what I mean? Like, I just, I just feel like that's relevant. Obviously, the other thing that, that I'm really thinking about is please reconcile your nimbyism in Atherton with your it's time to build. Like, how do you put out? He literally, I think the first line of it was like, it's time to build. Like, he puts out this post that's clearly in line with building, and he, he has he's so shameless that he feels no need to answer like all the public stuff about Atherton. Like he can just pretend they say nothing about it. I, it's galling to me. Like it, in some ways the media just is like culpable here in that we're so willing to just move on to the next headline. And it's just like, 
okay, he, he doesn't even, he doesn't want to talk about it. We're still willing to get super excited about his new thing because it's such a good storyline. And I do find, I mean, the media is powerless these days. We are, we're just, we take the stories as they come. There's no control and he never has to face any questions that he doesn't want to. And by the way, we will link to Eric's article about this topic in the show description uh, of this episode. So we can see that the media is complicit all around here. <laughs> wait, wait, I'm complicit or what, what are you saying? Yeah, you wrote the article. Oh, but yours was about why. Yeah, but I, I mean, I talked about the Atherton and like, yeah, I'm talking, I'm critical, like to some it's degree. I, I, I end it with maybe better. he's going to be calling Elizabeth Holmes next. I mean, it was partially just, yeah, we're all riding the narrative wave. Sure. If Yeah. Do I follow the news like everyone? Yes. Yeah. I think real estate is a fascinating topic for venture capital because the idea that there can really be innovation in real estate, which is the core, I mean, that is the foundational element of tech and of venture capital is that these things maybe exist, some of it doesn't, but if we just put the right minds and enough venture capital dollars towards it, it can transform it. And there is nothing to be transformed with real estate. You can, it's just branding at the end of the day, right? We can just take an area, put a different name on it, slap a new coat of paint, and suddenly we've decided it has more value. And yet you see venture capital over and over again trying to do something in the space because it's there. It's so, you know, like the TAM is enormous. And so we don't really know a ton about this one here. This idea of like what rent to rent to own or like ownership involved renting, that just kind of sounds like a mortgage at a certain level, maybe with as much, like not as much credit checking. I mean, it, it's always funny to well, me. Well, I how worry often... you just get to rent and you own a coin <laughs> or something. You know, you get oh, even like, worse. you're just like, you can speculate alongside your rental and like lose all your wealth through the coin too, or whatever. Anyway, right. right. You have no ownership, <laughs> but there's some sort of like liquid market that sits like on top of it, in which you can maybe trade up some value, but also lose a huge amount in the process. Brilliant. Brilliant. But yeah, I, I think it's, it's it's so funny to watch because every time they go into real estate, it does reveal what I think one of the weaknesses of tech and venture capitalists, which is they end up just backing themselves into already existing products. And, and so like that was kind of the case of WeWork. They sort of just did co-working spaces. And then this sort of thing, I guess we don't really know enough yet to cast judgment, but it sounds to me it's just going to end up being some version of like communal com- communal living with like a rental ownership and then maybe like a DAO wrapper on it or some sort of like crypto. Yeah, my best guess is yeah. it's going to be like in the same sense that like we people think that WeWork was co-working, but it's actually more like offices alongside each other with shared amenities. Um, you're not usually like unless you're kind of like the freelancer and and steadily over the years, the percentage of WeWork's customer base that was like small business freelancers, entrepreneur type single units looking for like community in their office has gotten has gotten smaller and it has become more and more like large companies you know insiders a classic example right like you know established companies being like oh we need an office in san francisco like i guess we'll get some we workspace um and so then like presumably you have like your own little office corner where it's like you and your colleagues and you just happen to like share an elevator with other people and like maybe when you get the coffee you like walk next to someone like you don't really know. And I think if I were to guess, this is complete speculation, but that like, you know, maybe the apartment buildings are going to be a little bit more like that because like existing real estate as it is, is not that amenable to like actual shared communal living. It is still like individual units where everyone has their own kitchen, everyone has their own stuff. And then maybe you share like shared amenities like the gym or the lobby or things like that. Yeah. I always hate those shared amenity buildings. I mean, I live in old style buildings, but yeah, you could see why 
to people who that's appealing, you could say, well, what if we cut out the kitchen? You shared a kitchen. You saved even more money. Anyway, now we're just speculating. But I mean, there there is, you know, sometimes these b- things need to get shaken up. And if you can put like a good brand sheen on it, it's an opportunity. I mean, isn't Mark Laurie trying to reinvent the city or did he give up on that already? And now he's, now isn't he doing delivery now? He's doing food trucks, I believe. That's his most but recent But wasn't he thing. the one trying to build a new city? Reinventing the city comes up a lot. I mean, Google had sidewalk labs. There's there's always attempts to, to try to do that. And, and isn't there that Saudi Arabian, like Noom or Neom, something? Neom, Neom. Yeah. Well, the Saudi Arabia thing is interesting because that really ties into your post, I believe, about what exactly is Mark Andreessen trying to do here? And why did he make the investment that he did? Or why did the firm make the investment that Yeah, he tell did? us about your troll theory, Eric. I want to hear more about that. First of all, I, I think he did it. And this is not the answer you guys want to hear. Because he believes in American dynamism. He has a ton of money. He wants to use capitalism to try and reform this market. Like, I, what I'm saying with the trolling piece is that I think Mark Andreessen and Andreessen Horowitz are perfectly happy to drive everyone crazy in doing this. And that's what I was trying to emphasize and how they gave it to the New York Times. They emphasized how much money it was. They did a big check when they could have done a small one. They are totally happy to drive most people crazy and think, what? These hypocrites. I mean, the fact that it was coming right after the Atherton thing, they know, you know, the fact that it's going to drive liberals crazy. They know that. They like that. That's their branding. The branding is appeal to founders. You're telling the press, go fuck yourselves. All your WeWork reporting, sorry, Ellen. The guy's fine. He goes on again. Doesn't matter. And then it tells founders that they're willing. If you're an exciting, ambitious founder, they're 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 here for you. Um, and so yeah, I mean, I don't think they're. I don't think it's just like, I don't know. But Mark Andreessen does love to troll. I mean, I don't think it's purely trolling. They've a strong articulated thesis around American dynamism and sort of trying to branch out of tech. They have too much money, but I do think there's an impulse there, which is. Fuck the left. <laughs> like, fuck all these people who say, oh, and I, you know, I was just on a podcast today. I mean, there is like, you listen to liberals sometimes talk about this stuff, you know, and I am a liberal, but like, they're like, oh, policy, we need government to solve these things. And it's like, well, government's not really, maybe it's slowly helping now in California, but like, what what harm is there in, if, if he was going to invest $350 million in some software company, nobody's going to object to that. For the public, it's probably better that he's using the $350 million. Maybe for his LPs, which are another constituent of mine, maybe it's not good for them. But like, you know, I think the average person should be like, great, they're throwing some money at something that could help me. But I feel the the, the reaction is like, and that, that I think they, they drive some joy from that sort of stupidity. I mean, it is, it is in line with um, like, yeah, his, his whole point in It's Time to Build is like, oh, we should the private markets should be trying to do some of these things better. And if they can do them better, like we shouldn't be like, oh, this is a thing that government needs to solve. Like, so if it, if it turns out that flow helped solve housing crises, I'm all for it. Um, but I guess we'll have to see. Yes. Right. Yes. But then I think the piece is like, is Adam Newman worthy of redemption? I mean, and this is a very complicated question, but, and I obviously have lots, lots of opinions, but Ellen, I mean, maybe just to begin to answer that, do you have a stack ranking of his sins? Or like, this is always the challenge with Uber. People are like, what do you think of Uber? And I'm like, well, which issue? Like, but like, what do you think are like the sins of Adam Newman? So I think there's a a few interesting things that most people get wrong about what happened at WeWork. 
Well, first of all, many people think that WeWork is like bankrupt. It's not. It's still around. They're just selling office space. And he's never been accused of a crime. He's never been no, like... That, and, that's, and that's an important thing is he has never been accused of a crime. As far as I can tell, I don't know that he has like committed any sort of crime or done anything illegal. Like it's just doesn't seem like that's really what happened. And if it had happened, I think people would have like if it if it had been able to be found out, you know, there's been a It'd couple be a career making move if you the, could, Yeah, there's yeah. a couple there's been a couple very good books about WeWork. I I would be surprised if those reporters hadn't surfaced things like that. And the people who in my mind got hurt the most on sort of a like you know, received kind of like a disproportionate amount of hurt for it were employees who joined WeWork late in, you know, later on in the company's, I guess, maybe in the last few years between 2017 and 2019. And that sucked. And I think for a lot of those people, it really sucked to have bought into this, like, you know, this this vision of of what the outcome could have been for the company and for themselves um, and maybe put like On a the one of- hand, it's a bunch of white collar workers. You thought they were going to get super rich and then they didn't. But he got super yeah. rich <laughs> and they yeah. didn't. So I think, I think that's the most egregious like unfairness of it, which is that like he did have the leverage in order to extract himself in a way that left other employees, like tons of people lost their jobs. A lot of people had stock that was like worthless. Um, and like, of course, that's part of being in a startup, like you are taking a gamble. And we crash, there's that scene where he like lays off a bunch of people and then they have what, like some rapper come in. I mean, it, do you know if that's true or? It, yeah, it's run DMC. And that did really happen. It's true. It's true. <laughs> My understanding is that there were like, it was like a couple weeks later. It wasn't like that night or something. But the point is, yes, I think some of Adam's worst actions are were like his callousness, his greed, his kind of I mean, it's harder with victims. It's like, well, he acted unfairly in business, sort of, you know. Yeah. yeah. There were, like, I think some some financial decisions that were really not kosher. Um, but again— And he was also, I would say, running a business that seemed like it was just going to, like, collapse if he was allowed to continue. Like, it was just like, when he didn't get the extra, like, wasn't he supposed to get, like, a $10 billion investment or something from SoftBank, right? What Something yeah, like that, right? Yeah, something like that. Fortitude. He's trying to get a company to go public at like a hundred billion that ends up being worth four billion. There's there's a certain like delusion there. Like that that was yeah. gonna come crashing down. Well, and also the Adam apologists will say that the problem really wasn't so much with the idea of WeWork or its growth, but was when SoftBank came in and Masa, because of his need to have supersized returns on his vision fund um, you know, thesis pushed him to go crazier and crazier. Right. And that's when you have stuff like we were or we live and we learn and the really, really stupid shit that, you know, we became, grow, we grow. Yeah. I mean, the stuff that became the worst aspects of, of the business. I mean, he basically built a school for his own right. children. Like, Hi again, Rebecca. I mean, he lived, you know, and he was, he had a hot tub in the office. Ice like, bath, not hot tub. Ice bath. Oh, that's a good check, fact check. Yeah. No, but, but here's what I was going to say about, about this. It's like, okay, so that's that's one element of the WeWork story. But from a pure venture capital perspective, WeWork was a success. Benchmark made money from yeah, WeWork. Yeah, if you were early in WeWork, that was a great check. If you were late, that was bad. Right. My real takeaway from my piece, whatever you took about trolling, was that the beauty of the venture model is it's staged capital. You have a seed round, you have an A round, you have a B round. If Andreessen had just written a $20 million check in this thing, people would have still whined about it, but I think it would have been more reasonable. It's like, okay, he is like really, let's give him another shot and see if the risk goes down over time. It's the fact that they gave him 
350 million that it's just like we're gonna do the soft bank thing all over again yeah i mean <laughs> you guys are a little like glassy-eyed on that one or what you you don't know if you agree or not i, or I like- guess i just don't i didn't get as worked up about it other than it was funny there's no question it was funny and that is one of the goals of trolling which is why i do buy your trolling thesis to a degree is that there are certain people that are going to get mad and people getting mad about stuff is funny and adam newman is a clown and when I see him back on the scene, it makes me happy again. So I'm not against the idea of spending this money, which, as you pointed out in your piece, Andreessen needs to deploy somehow. They have <laughs> billions and billions of dollars spread across multiple funds. There are only so many places to put it. Adam Newman, as you pointed out, is very good at spending money. And so if you want to get someone to like... Uh, that was a good know, line. What is it? What, what better way to deploy excess capital than a real estate company run by Adam Newman or something like that, to quote myself? Yeah. yeah. I, I like your compliment here line and then quoting it in, yeah. you know, in, in specific. Um, <laughs> this is way too much. I, I don't know if that was word for word, you know, but... But, yeah. but no, I, I I agree with you. I'm sorry to say, like I think all of that makes uh, you know you know a ton of sense, uh, at least to a degree. I'm sure Andreessen would love for the money to give returns so that they can please their LPs. But uh, I guess if you were to think about what is wrong with this picture here, if you really want to get mad about something, is that why you know we're also talking about this several weeks after you know the Democrats have put forth a bill that removed the you know rem- you know. They, they weren't able to get rid of the carried interest loophole, uh, which would have taxed a lot of these people to a degree that they had never been taxed before, that maybe would have provided a little bit more equity in the kind of government and public returns from the kind of excess wealth that is on display here because of all of these kinds of you know te- tech companies and the venture capital firms that are raising a bunch of money here. So I, I guess if you really want to be mad about something, it should be just like the fact that Andreessen has so much money to deploy that they're willing to take a certain percentage of it, uh, you know, wrapped up in a troll and a money losing scheme like that. That that makes yeah. a little bit more sense to me than the specific company that they invested in because it's someone else's money. It's the LP's problem. It's not mine. Well, I have a thought, which is like I don't. So I mean, I think Eric, you know a little bit more about like sort of the decision-making behind the scenes and Andreessen, or at least have theories about it. So I think also a lot of people could rightfully be really just sort of like mad when they see this news because they feel that there are like other companies with other founders who are not Adam Newman, who are more deserving in some way of getting the chance to build a business. I'm just curious if you think that Andreessen would eat, like, I don't know. Is that even is that even like a realistic? Is it even realistic to think that if they had chosen not to invest in Adam, that they would have invested in the sort of people that like yeah, like are I don't know, like uh, less likely to get funding? Right. Like, well, some somebody was saying to me in my mentions, like, or I forget where one of them, but like, I mean, there there is just like a reality I think among the wealthy and like Silicon Valley is guilty of this too, where it's like. Once you've been a founder, once you've been C-level, it's like there's almost like a labor union that never lets you fall back. There's almost, it's sort of like the bigger you've gone, the more they're like, no, you're in our class. You're like, you're you're going to get there. We're going to help you get there. We'll give you another shot. Like failed founders are some of the most desirable founders. There is like, you've been in the class, like instead of being like, oh, well, there's this new person. They haven't even failed. They could, they they have not fucked up. They've Maybe. never even lived in Atherton. We've got to give them a chance. <laughs> right. It's sort of like, He's in the club. He's got. He needs to have his win. Oh, We're going to give him so the win. Like, I, I do feel like that's not how anyone you know in the world would articulate it. But I do think that's sort of 
I mean, the flip side of that, of course, is that they've had the experiences. He's sort of seen what jams him up. He knows how to do it. He was able to do some of the things like that. That's sort of that's the argument for the repeat founder. And I do think repeat founders are somewhat successful. But but there is also this sense that, yeah, once you've broken into the club now, the club isn't thankfully in America entirely old money. It is very male and white. But yeah, once you've broken in somehow, it's like, oh, now now you're in it. Yeah, but I, I mean, these things are totally zero-sum. Obviously, there's still lots of other money that's not necessarily going to as many diverse founders as they should. But I, I do agree with the sentiment that it's like, oh, man, there's almost a preference for like the the guy who did badly. Like the thing, the thing that he did badly on a big scale is what they like, you know? Well, I guess I would just, I think we should challenge Andreessen and all these other investors out there who have a lot of money that they need to deploy, work a little bit harder. There are women, there are minorities, there are people you wouldn't expect that have really, really bad ideas that could be good <laughs> at burning through your money in ways that you wouldn't expect. And I think you need to look a little bit harder to find those I was people. really worried about this take. I was like, what, is he just going to give like some sincere, in, okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I think the, the world of bad ideas I just think there are all kinds of ideas out there that are awful that we haven't <laughs> explored. And I think if you expand the horizon of the kinds of people you're willing to invest in, you will find new and exciting ways to do that. And I want to see, yeah, more diversity of villains, personally. Yeah, yeah. And like, look, Adam Newman did it in one way. But who's to say, you know, a woman or a minority or other other kind of thing wouldn't do it in a different way, in a way that's fine, that could get their own show. And we've seen Elizabeth Holmes. That's fine. She's kind of a token bad female founder. There are others. There are others, and I think we should try to find them. Yeah, don't let Elizabeth Holmes be the only, uh, yeah, representative of um, female founders making bad decisions. Right, and unfortunately, she's the one that actually did get charged with the crime too. I mean, like, right, she is the worst of them. Yeah, it, it is. It is unfortunate. Right. So this is actually a question: Is do you think people actually would back Elizabeth Holmes again, or do you think if it like the criminal aspect is that's the line? People are like, we won't, we won't go there. If she had not been charged with the crime, I hundred percent yes. 100% yes. And because she has been charged with a crime, what do you think is going to, like, what do you think Elizabeth Holmes going to be doing in I 10 years? I think she crossed a line that they're not, it, it's, there's only so much you can actually troll in. I do think maybe in a couple of years when we really get blackpilled about stuff, you could see Elizabeth Holmes getting money again for stuff. Now, I don't know if she actually is, is she legally barred from running a company uh, at this know. point? Shkreli's sort of coming back yet. Yeah. I mean, he's trying to find yeah, it. There, there are ways around the law, but yeah, I do think, I do think Elizabeth Holmes, because she did, you know, she built something to a degree and, and she was able to successfully raise a lot of money. She had that kind of messianic cult leader type ability to convince investors that she had a grand vision. And I do think she had a grand vision. Well, I love, we skirted this whole thing with Travis Kalanick because what he raised from like the Saudis, he was like, fuck everybody. Like I'm going to do it. It's just like, it is, I don't know. Yeah. He's not doing PR, but I mean, Travis has already raised a ton of money. So uh, yeah, and, and and Uber is of the three the most valuable company. So it's it, you know he wouldn't even really be considered like that. Would nothing about that right. is surprising at all. His was just a a fight with his board and and stuff. But but um, yeah, I, I I think Elizabeth Holmes a hundred percent would be able to raise uh, a new round if it weren't for the criminal. You only need a couple of people to think it's a good idea, right? And that's that's the thing people always underestimate about the venture model. You yeah, this you was know. yeah. I mean, with with WeWork, it was really like two people had to agree that WeWork was worth forty seven billion dollars. It was Adam and Masa, and they did, and that's why <laughs> right. that's why the company had that tag. And now, yeah. now that the value of WeWork is being decided by many people, it's less. Right. 
Exactly. Maybe we can just close here on this aspect because this is a perfect question for you, Ellen, because you do have experience with intentional living and and these sort of things. I mean, (laughs) what would it take for you to live in an Adam Newman started and branded co-living situation? What what do you look for? Uh, What needs to be innovative? Oh, I mean, well, the the true answer is I would do it for a story today. So, (laughs) you know, sign me, sign me up, send me to South Florida. I mean, you know, Maybe if, like if they not. give you some Burning Man like t- software <laughs> tools to prepare your camp, then then you go. Or I mean, if I can get on my communal living soapbox for just a second, <laughs> I don't think that shared amenity apartments count as to me like actual co living. To me, I think I have I have found that the way that you bring people together at their home is by sharing a kitchen. That's all. Like you just have to share a kitchen you and sharing have- a currency. <laughs> you need a currency within that. And we have a shared token, right. and everybody votes on the DAO. Right. So let's just make sure that those are. You just are- need housing script. That's it. I was thinking on the DAO. I mean, part of what's cool about your sort of intentional living is you know you guys have these like governing documents. I mean, it is sort of if you bring we a bunch a of people. To- yeah, we were a DAO before DAOs. Like we're cool, right? Right. Um, we don't have a token, but right. you know, I did write a story a couple months ago about um, like a a company that's trying to do like van life and communal living and they are going to run a lot of their um, business via DAO and they're like really into the idea that Web3 philosophy and technologies can help scale communities by having this sort of governance token type thing. I won't get too much into it, but they, you know, there are, you know, people who are into community are looking at, yeah, sort of crypto tools to help manage it. But just to be clear, your advice to Adam Newman is that for this to work, you need people fighting over the leftovers in the fridge. No. Yeah. In fact, the opposite is I think fighting, like, it takes so much effort to fight over the kitchen. So, like, no one actually wants that. So, I think he's, it, it's like, they're calling it, I guess what I'm arguing is, like, they're, they, might, they might call it, and we don't know that they're calling it co-living. At WeWork, they, like, sort of called it co-living, and I argue that that's not the real deal. The real deal is when you have to argue but over the kitchen. But you're saying they won't. I think but they won't do it. That's, I won't, and they that's won't do what it. gave and, you community. Like Yes. But do you think they could apply that at scale? Like, do you think you're... If no one is sharing a kitchen and they still call it community, I argue that that's false community. I agree with you. You need to be forced to break bread. Yeah. And 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 you can take it a step further. I mean, I, I have cousins in Israel that live on kibbutzim and, and raise their children communally. Like, there are multiple parents there, you know, that, that all call themselves... Like, there are multiple people they call mom and dad because of that, which is something Adam Newman is probably very familiar with. I think that's really cool. So if Andreessen Horowitz does this the right way, they can be fucking with people's children before we know it, you know? <laughs> Jesus Christ. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. That's I mean, true. If you want, people are going to be if, living in these things. Like, it was, it's not even an overstatement. Like, you know, it's, I mean, uh, yeah. It, it would be cool <laughs> if they had, like, if they, you know, if they had, like, um, communal childcare and stuff, like, that'd be, like, that's something people would probably be really into. But I don't yeah. know if that's exactly the demographic they're going for. We don't really but, know but yet. But Rebecca in charge of it. Yeah, well, that's that's part of the idea here, too, uh, for sure. And, you know, plus, you know, with Elon trying to repopulate the world, we're seeing a lot of different approaches to both child <laughs> creation and rearing. So I, I, I think we should be more open to the innovation that they think that they're, that they're stumbling across. But anyway, um, we should probably wrap it up here. Yeah, this is uh, so fun. I mean, it's just nice. Uh, it's always good when you have a podcast where you're like, oh, I just want to hang out with this person anyway, so we can have them on. Thanks for coming. Well, we hope the feeling's mutual. Yeah, this was very fun. I'm glad to be part of your guest Rolodex. Yeah, exactly. It's a who's who. Yeah, our, our podcast co-op, we like to call it. You're now part of the Dead Cat communal living situation. Goodbye. 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 Goodb
Silicon Valley. Goodbye, 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 goodbye.